Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm Marva Hinton. Today, my guest is Pablo Cartaya. His debut novel, The Epic Fail of Arturo Zamora, is designed for young readers and tells the story of 13-year-old Arturo Zamora and his Cuban-American family. They live in the Miami area, and much of the family's life revolves around the restaurant his grandparents started nearly 20 years ago. This restaurant, La Cocina, is being threatened by a man who wants to take their property to build a large development that would include luxury condos and businesses such as a specialty grocery store. You can find out how to win a free signed copy of The Epic Fail of Arturo Zamora on our website, readmorepodcast.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Pablo, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Marva. I'm delighted to be here. This book is just so Miami, from the way you describe the Cuban food to the s- description of just the city, you know, the sunsets and then the rainy summer afternoons. Did you always know that Miami would be the setting for your first book? Miami is very special to me. I, I spent uh, my, the last few years of high school here and my parents immigrated here. I was born here. I grew up in New York, but I was born here. And so Miami's always been very special. The, 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 the story, I'm not so sure if it was always meant to start in Miami. I always knew that it was gonna be the story about a kid and his family, um, as specifically a kid and his relationship with his abuela, with his grandmother. And so through that, as I asked myself questions about where this story is going, what does this story mean? Um, I started realizing that a lot of it was very similar to the places that I spend a lot of time in, and that's Miami. And so little by little, this amalgamation of wonderful places throughout the city kind of made its way into this fictional town called Canal Grove. Um, And that's kind of where it sort of came from. Well, I understand from reading your bio that you actually spent some time working in restaurants in the past. What did you like about using that type of setting to have your characters interact and have that be such a big part of their lives? Well, restaurants are a chaotic um, enterprise. And, you know, we don't we don't really notice that when we go out and we sit to eat. We want to, you know, we want to have our quiet dinners, our romantic dinners or, you know, or what have you. But, you know, if you actually stop and pay attention to all the hustling and bustling going on, um, that is really the heart of the restaurant. You know, everyone from the dishwasher, which in my opinion is the most important position in the entire restaurant, to, you know, to the, you know, the hostess or the host that comes and greets you and sits you down at your table. It's it's always a hustle. And the it's a fun actually inter- interesting story. The 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 first there's a scene in the book that has Arturo almost drowning. He's the assistant junior dishwasher <laughs> at his family restaurant. And there's a scene where he's like drowning in soap bubbles at one point, because he just can't clean the dishes fast enough. Um, that was me <laughs> when, I was, when I was busting tables uh, through grad school. And I was just, I, I started, I was probably the worst restaurant person that has ever lived. And, 
I broke more dishes than I care to admit, uh, which I'm admitting now. <laughs> and, you know, we just, I, I, I just remember that so viscerally, you know, that speed by which plates come and you got to clean the dishes. You got to be careful not to throw silverware into the garbage cans and you got to run them through the machines and you got to polish them and all that speed, you know, and, and one of the restaurants that I worked in had this massive, uh, uh, conveyor belt like uh, um, dishwasher and I just when I was writing the story I just imagined that machine and sort of like kind of created this sort of monstrous quality to it uh, because because it's just they're scary and the, you the restaurant business runs so fast at a pace that most people I'm not sure how many people re- realize but and then especially if you're in the dishwashing side of it, you have to move quickly and your job is important. You have to make sure that the dishes are cleaned, polished. And and so that kind of idea I wanted to bring into this story, that sort of like almost chaotic um, atmosphere, but that is very highly organized at the same time. Um, and I just had to throw Arturo into the dishwashing because I got tortured, so he gets to be tortured too. <laughs> well, your book is designed for readers who are 10 and up. Why did you want to write for that age group? Well, a few people have asked me, you know, what is what age group does, is your book for? And I say it's 10 to 90. Uh, I've had young readers read the book and really connect with it. Actually, my daughter's now reading the audiobook which I also recorded, which is kind of a cool thing on its own. But, you know, I had, uh, there was a wonderful, actually she's now the poet, the children's poet laureate, Margarita Engel. When she read the book in one of its first iterations, she she connected with it so much, she asked if her mother could read it. Her mother, who was 90, read the book and was, and reached out and said, "I, I feel like I've come back home. Um, I've had friends who are my age and who have said, who are construction managers and lawyers and doctors, and they said, you know, this feels like home. And so, yes, it's targeted for young readers, and young readers are going to be the bulk of the readership. But it really is a book for for a lot of people who understand the connections to home, to community. Uh, to first awkward love. So it's really a book for everybody. And I I, I wrote it with the intention of I'm not trying to write for a middle grade audience. I'm writing for a people, a population, readers in general. Um, And, you know, my publisher decided to to target it the way that they wanted to. And I'm okay with that. But it's really for anybody to, to pick up. Well, I definitely got that sense from reading it. You know, I really enjoyed it, and um, there was a lot of there were a lot of things there that I could relate to. You know, I'm not originally from Miami, but I live here now, and I've lived here for a while, so it feels. I mean, it felt like very homey here. You know, I'm used to the big family dinners, even not being Cuban, but it's the family relationships. There were just so many things there that felt comfortable. So I, I think you definitely achieved that goal in writing for, you know, 10 to 90. Um, but were there any particular challenges that you faced, though, and, you know, knowing that 
your publisher was targeting this to a middle grade audience um did that affect you know the language or were there you know any special challenges at all for you as a writer with that marva there's always challenges when your editor asks you to do something um you're you know obviously you you are ultimately targeting a middle grade audience these are readers that are typically in middle school probably early high school and you know, just like a poet is, you know, thinking about the the spaces in which she is writing in, or, you know, the historical fiction writer is writing within these detailed descriptions. And, you know, that's what we do, too. We're just, we're all writers. Um, and sometimes when we're writing for particular audiences, we 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 know the constructs by which we need to to work so no there's not going to be excessive cursing but honestly i don't like excessive cursing anyway um I, I always i always think you know some of the greatest movies of all time if you think of movies where do they where do we go back to we go to casablanca we go to you know con with the wind and all these stories there isn't necessarily like this abundance of cursing in them and they're they have impact they're powerful um so I think, you know, it, was there challenges keeping it within the system? No, not really, because really the, through the eyes of this young, this 13-year-old kid, he's viewing the world. Um, and that world is not, there's not F-bonds being dropped every three seconds. I'm sure that it happens in real life. I'm, in fact, I guarantee you it does. But with it, that's not the purpose of what I'm writing the story for. It has a deeper meaning than that. Um, and that's really where I try to, you know, make sure that I stay within those rules, but also not worry so much like, oh, darn, I don't get to write an F-bomb. I don't get to write an F-bomb into this because it's not necessary. Well, although this book is targeted for that, you know, middle grade reader, you deal with some very serious subjects, uh, including gentrification. What made you want to tackle that I know that's something we see in cities all over the country um, and I don't I don't know that I've ever seen it written about as from the perspective of a person like Arturo who's so young Margaret if you look in downtown Coral Gables right now there is you know they're they're building the the landscape they're extending out the sidewalks for for folks to walk on and and have the cafes open extend out there's a big sign that says we support small businesses. And I think that there is an undercurrent going through um, a lot of our communities that small businesses are being threatened. Um, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not in any position to go and, and stand on a, on a, on a um, what is it, the bar stool or what, not bar stool, whatever it is, so you know, box. the soapbox, there you go, and, and start you know, saying one thing or the other versus, but for me, but for me, local businesses are so important, and and I think young people are so surprisingly uh, connected to activism. They have an incredible sense of right. Uh, you know, I, I listen to my daughter. You know, she she, ref, you know, she goes and talks to kids. Um, that are 
not being nice and she's like you should not do that and she starts organizing you know uh groups of kids like saying let's 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 have let's be positive and these you know young people we 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 kind of try to shelter them from all the the ails of the world but actually if we put them in front and center we'll probably figure out a lot more than than what we already are you know that than what we're what we um labor over ourselves so talking about gentrification uh talking about supporting local businesses this is something that i i was interested in tackling through the eyes of of Arturo because I trust this young person to figure it out more than I trust adults. <laughs> so um, I guess, you know, I guess in that way, I, I think um, I, I was, I was really proud to write it that way. Cause yeah. Okay. Well, poetry is also a really big part of the novel. Arturo is introduced to the famous Cuban poet and revolutionary figure Jose Marti by Carmen, a girl he has a crush on, and by his beloved abuela. Poetry is not something that he really understands at first, or he you know, even thinks he likes, but as the story goes on, he begins to embrace it more and more, and then we see him, you know, he's actually starting to write himself, and there's quite a bit of poetry that you include in the text. Why did you want to expose your readers to this? Well, selfishly, I have to say that I, when I was Arturo's age, I was a terrible poet. I'm I'm still a terrible poet. <laughs> uh, I, and I I just think po- poetry as a as a, as an access point to emotion, I think, is a real powerful way to understand um, emotional feelings, and. You know this idea of Jose Marti in in the narrative. You know, I, I've gotten um, people that have sent me notes saying I didn't know that about Jose Marti. You know, some people when I you know with the reference to the Guantanamera and and having that be having those lyrics taken from the original poem Cultivo una Rosa Blanca. You know, people are like, oh, I didn't realize that. And I to me, I'm like, how did really you didn't realize that? Like, but it's. But it's true, like these things get lost. We don't realize that Jose Marti was this father of the of the Cuban independence in the late 1800s. Um, but that he also wrote, um, he, he wrote an interesting story. He wrote um, this periodical called La Edad de Oro, The Golden Age. And it was geared, it was directed solely for children. And he wrote some of his most famous short works um, and it was directed at children because he believed that children were uh, more important to the future than adults. And obviously that obviously makes sense, but in a way he was really talking to them. And to me, using his voice and then also this sort of history of like what poetry can do, how poetry can connect to the emotions, how poetry can help cope with, you know, um, turmoil emotional turmoil by writing it and explore and exploring it um, is something that I really wanted to be a part of Arturo's emotional arc um, yeah so. well 
Well, throughout the novel, we also see Arturo begin to have a better understanding of his abuelo, who's deceased, through letters that he left for him. And these letters tell his life story, and they also provide Arturo with life lessons. And of course, there's more poetry there and information about Jose Marti. Um, Throughout this novel, I mean, you really are exploring close family ties. Um, The Zamoras all pitch in to help out at the restaurant. They all live together in the same apartment building. Why did you want to explore these intergenerational relationships? Marva, the... The, the cultural uh, connections to these intergenerational relationships is very prominent in my culture. I'm Cuban-American, um, but it's also, it's not just my, my culture. It's, it's across the board. We, we have, what I, what I have found is that um, the connection between grandparent and grandchild uh, becomes that sort of, the the link between heritages um, because as parent to child you know we're in the go mode we're you know we we're in survival mode if you will you know we're, we're making sure that the kids get dressed get you know go to school get to their soccer games go to their you know music practices and all that and we're on go mode all the time grandparents pause have paused already like you ask my mom, she's like, no, I, I can, I love being with my grandkids because I don't have to do what I was doing as a parent. And so Arturo and his connection to Abuela and by, through the letters to his connection with Abuelo, it becomes that sort of purveyor of history, the purveyor of the heritage. And in a way that Arturo becomes the link between where the family is going um and so it's it, it was an i i found it really interesting to explore that and i don't under i'm not a grandparent but i was very close with my grandparent with my grandfather unfortunately my grand my abuela died, passed away when i was very young but and it was always these quiet little stories that just carried on carried through and yes, my mom, because my mom was going to hear this, and she's going to be like, "Well, I talked to you about stuff when we were when when you were little." But yes, she did. You did, mom. But I see her connected with her grandchildren in a very special way. It's almost like this secret code they're passing between each other, um, carrying a, a new history forward. And that's I think it was really important for me to to show that. This story, before anything, was always a story about a kid and his abuela. Well, throughout the novel, you sprinkle various Spanish phrases and, um, you know, lines from the poetry and just the uh, grandmother and grandson talking. You know, she tells him to, you know, speak Spanish to me. Um, Sometimes it's translated and sometimes it's not. Was that always part of your plan to include that in the novel? Yes, 100%. And that was actually one of the things that when I, uh, when I s- s- finally decided on the publisher um, that I was going to go with, uh, which is Viking, um, that was one of the, the things that was the, that was the, that made the deal right there. Because my editor, when I expressed to her, I was like, this is a non-starter. I'm not, I'm going to keep it this way. I'm not italicizing the Spanish. 
the reader you have to just the reader's going to get it through the context clues um and she being mexican american um was totally on board she's like oh absolutely and so it was always going to be that and i think there is something we have to trust if we do our job as writers we have to trust the reader to figure it out you know these through context clues we don't have to do obvious translations we don't have to italicize because what that does is that others our language then we become the other again so it's it's flown it's it's woven through the text in ways that are very natural to our our experience our immigrant experience our uh, cultural experience and so for me that was key to this book and it's key to all of all books of mine because i i really 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 feel strongly about about that it seems like that was obviously something you were ready to fight over but it didn't come to that did you encounter any problems with it along the way you know as you were looking for an agent as you were looking for a publisher uh did you get any pushback because i've heard some other writers talk about you know that was a problem that they had to deal with you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm the exception or if I'm, uh, you know, or what it is. I did not have that experience with my agent, who is non, uh, non Hispanic, non Spanish speaker. She never thought uh, that that was an issue. Um, I think it's all. And then when I, when I was with my, for me, it was, if I do my job as a writer, the reader should understand. They should get it. If I don't, and so when it's not, when the questions arose, like, wait, I don't understand what this means. It's, I analyze it in the way of, am I writing this in a way that is, that the reader will be able to decode it through context clues. And so I labor a lot. It takes it takes me a while to, you know, if there's a phrase that Abuela speaks in Spanish, I have to make sure, number one, I can't write three pages of Spanish dialogue and then expect the reader to go, okay, go ahead, off you go, understand it. But there's there should be enough. And then with responses and, you know, ways that the reader, if the reader keeps going, you're like, oh, that's what that means. Um, there's actually, you know, studies on how to how the brain decodes text. Uh, and and so when when I was working on revisions of the of the book, we we went through the Spanish phrases and made sure that the I may I had to make sure that the context clues were there so that the reader can understand them by reading through. Um, and so that so it wasn't really there was no fighting or no pushback or anything like that it was just more in the service of the actual story as a whole um so i don't know if uh, i mean i'm sure other authors have had issues with that i mean I, I haven't at this point um and my editor asked questions she's like okay why is this why do you want to put this here and you know as the writer who's constructing a story you have to answer it you have to say well i'm doing this here because of this if you're just arbitrarily throwing in a spanish phrase and it doesn't and there's nothing there it's like okay well why is that there and so as the writer it's not so much about the spanish it's more about like what is this doing for the service of the story and that's kind of where we negotiate our 
our um, our process through the through the revisions of the book. Well, what are you working on now? <laughs> um, I <laughs> that's a that's a great follow up because it's it's a the next book it's it's called Marcus Vega doesn't speak Spanish, and that you know. I, I, I don't know what it is with me. I, I take on, I like to take on big issues, big questions. I like to answer big questions. And this this book is, uh, it's about a kid. It's set in actually a small town in Pennsylvania. And he's, he's um, he goes to Puerto Rico to find his estranged father. Um, and it's a story about brotherhood. It's a story about fatherhood. And it's a story about identity and what it means to be who you are. And um, and they go on a fun adventure too. So there's a you know, there's there's lots of fun. It's a big tour around Puerto Rico, but it's it's really it's a story about identity and, and how we and our place in it. Well, let's talk a little bit now about what you like to read. Do you remember the first thing that you read that really had a major impact on you that, you know, maybe still resonates with you today? Well, it's funny because the books that I loved to read as a kid, I don't write that way. Um, I The first book that made me a lover of words was Jules Verne, um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And it's completely random <laughs> you know it's i wish i could say something more clever but it's it was a book that just took me away um and there's there's another and then raw doll now i know raw doll's personal history is leaves much to be desired um but if you take that strip that away <clears throat> and just put the book in front of the kid that's what I was looking at. Um, I'm sad to know that Raw Dahl's like history is so, ugh, you know, it's it, it just anti-Semitic and just horrible. But, but the kid in me wasn't thinking about that, wasn't looking at that, and I was, you know, disappearing into the BFG was the first big book that I read um, in third grade, and it was important to me. I just I finished this book all by myself, um, and the words. The play with words, you know, fizzcomber and fuzzle butt or whatever. And there's these fun words that just kind of pop as you read them was very instrumental in my development as a writer. And then this idea of adventure came from Jules Verne. Um, you know, and then I, I started reading Ray Bradbury. Uh, I started uh, Battle and Lengel. A Wrinkle in Time. These are all like, you know, the, the books that, you know, I, I really enjoy, these adventure books. Um, and then I got, I got into Shakespeare, but not because of a super academic reason. I got into Shakespeare when I was in seventh grade because I had a crazy crush on this girl named Caroline, and she carried a pocket book of sonnets. And I just really wanted to impress her. <laughs> so my my uh, my attraction to Shakespeare was completely romantic in in that I wanted to impress a girl, but I was I was not good at it. I just I tried to write sonnets, and 
Lord help me, I was not good. Um, but yeah, this so literature has taken this sort of strange. My love of literature has taken this sort of strange shape um, over the years, and I just like to read whatever you know. And I'm not. I don't stick myself into one particular place. Like, oh, this is the kind of work that I read. I just I read whatever. If somebody recommends something, I'll read it. You know. Well, along those lines, do you have books that? maybe you like to reread over and over again because you know usually on the show I like to ask authors you know if they could only read three books for the rest of their lives but they could read those books as much as they want you know which books would they choose so for you would you choose you know something that's you know written for children or that there's some uh, adult books that you would like to say those would be your three Marva you're you're trying to like you're trying to stump me here with these, you know, keeping me these these one book or two books, you know. Uh, you get three. I'll get, okay, you gave me three, thanks. <laughs> the pantheon of literature. Pick these three. Okay. I, I would, am I, I'm on an island? Well, no, you're not on an island. I don't know, it's your, your punishment. You can't read anything new. You can only read, you know, three books you've read in the past. Have I been sent to? Purgatory? I mean, why am I only reading three? You're just being punished. What? What have I done? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Caroline is upset oh, or no, something. Oh no, no, don't. She's. I'm, that's my. Are you still friends with her? No, no. I was 13. She left to England, and I never saw her again. It was. Maybe she'll hear this. I. I don't. Well, maybe. But my wife wouldn't be very happy about that. So, Marva, you're trying to get me in trouble. All kinds no, of trouble. You I'm see, not. This is why I'm in trouble. This is why I only get to read three books. Yes. From now on. Your wife's very upset about Caroline. You're still thinking about Caroline no. from when you were 13. <laughs> and that's why I get to only choose three yes. books. Okay. I would. I would. Uh, I would. I would choose Huckleberry Finn as as one. I would choose. I, I, I would have to choose 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And, you know... <laughs> it can be an anthology if you want. An antho- well, okay, an anthology. An anth- okay, and then you know what? And then you know what? The Folger, Shakespeare's um, folio. Wow, Caroline would be impressed. Boom, you see? <laughs> Shakespeare's Folio, there you go. Yes, because then I'll, I, that's one book in hundreds. So, well, not hundreds, but a lot. A lot. So, there. Well, on the flip side of this, all of these great books that you love, has there been a book that you have really struggle to read that maybe is very popular either with you know other readers or with critics but it just didn't do it for you and you were never able to get through it no you know i don't read like that i i every book has a story to tell you know and every writer labors over that story you know and and i i think we are so quick to judge or we're so quick to, oh god i can't you know and i think I think every book deserves a chance and every book has has had its own journey and you know what what whatever book doesn't suit somebody could be a game changer for another person could change somebody's life and so for us to to pass judgment on each other as for books or to say oh I couldn't put the you know I don't think that does anything for literature 
I think all books are for all people. There, there's a book there for somebody, and I think that that that's that's the way I look at everything. That's the way I approach any book that I read. This book is for somebody, and sometimes it 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 excites me to the point of you know I want to read it over and over again. And sometimes I'm like, this is awesome, and I, this could be for somebody that could read. I know somebody who could really love this, you know. So that's that's kind of how I approach reading. So you never put a book down without finishing it, even if it's maybe not perfect for you. You still go ahead and read all the way through. I, I finish. I finish all my books now. Whether I love the book to 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 the moon or whether it's a book that you know I'm like okay, it's taking me more time to read through or or whatever. I if I stop a book, it's because I have a deadline to write or something, or I'm like I really can't immerse myself in it but I always finish my the, the book because um, that's also fair to the author you know I mean you know writing is hard and it's lonely and when we when we give when, when we give our books out to the world we're sharing a part of ourselves you know and it's almost like if you close a book without finishing it's like you're just stopping in the middle of a conversation and you're silencing that person that author that's worked on it. Now, you don't have to agree with everything. You don't have to like everything, you know, but it's it's fair, you know, to hear, hear the author out, you know, yeah. What are you reading right now? I know you said you're busy at work. You're on a deadline with uh, writing, so I'm not sure if you're able to do a lot of reading right now. Uh, well, I am reading. I'm, I, I, I hadn't read The Handmaid's Tale in... I, I'm admittedly so I had I never read The Handmaid's Tale and now because of all because of the new series um, and Amazon had this free um, download Amazon Prime had this free download so I was like let's let's read it um, and so I started reading that and and so I kind of read that at night like after you know I kind of sell <laughs> I shouldn't be reading that at night because it's kind of giving me bad dreams but uh, the the so you know just kind of settle after after work i just i just usually read so i'm reading that i'm also reading the orphan master's son um and i just finished a great book called ready player one as well which is um uh, ernest klein was great book but they're all really they're they're all like dystopian novels i think i I think i need to (laughs) i think i need to lighten it up a little bit (laughs) Uh, but yeah, no. So I mean, that's I. I usually, again, it. I'll, I'll read three books, three or so books at the same time, but just and pick them up in little bits, um, and which is why it takes me either a long time or I'll I'll stop for a little while and then like, you know, kind of work when I when I have to really um, turn in a deadline. But then I'll come back to it. So it's just it kind of takes a little bit of time. But usually then I'll have like three books finished at once. Um, but yeah, those those are the those are the three that three that I'm reading now. Well, where can listeners find you online? Um, I'm on Twitter, which is like a new thing for me. <laughs> um, uh, it's at PH Cartaya, and that's uh, C-A-R-T-A-Y-A. Uh, you can find me on, on my website is pablocartaya.com. And, and then, yeah, and that's that's pretty much and then and then if if there's i have a booking agent um 
uh, from the Booking Biz. Her name is Sarah Zebo, and on my website you can find that. Pablo Cartaya was a great guest. It was wonderful meeting him earlier this week. Please go to our website, readmorepodcast.com, to find out how you can win a free signed copy of the epic fail of Arturo Zamora. You can also follow us on Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again next time for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton reminding you to read more. Thank you.